Thank you for listening to NSL Double Talk. Never stop learning. At Never Stop Learning, we connect you with engaging experts who join you and your friends or colleagues in conversation at a location of your choosing. With NSL Double Talk, we are bringing the Never Stop Learning model directly to you. Each podcast will feature two experts in conversation on topics that range from global affairs to wellness to arts to innovation. Sometimes the experts agree, sometimes they don't, but we will never stop learning and never stop laughing. Talk about the stars. Good morning. <laughs> NSL Double Talk featuring Clemence von Miffling and Dr. Julie Karen. Their topic today is ageless beauty. Clemence is a third-generation beauty editor. After moving to New York City from Paris over 10 years ago, she launched the online beauty magazine, Beauty and Wellbeing, to great acclaim. In her new book, Ageless Beauty, The French Way, she is weaving wisdom from three generations of beauty editors with insider's tips from top beauty experts. Julie is a dermatologist specializing in skin cancer and anti-aging treatments. She is consistently elected to New York Super Doctors, which appears in the New York Times Magazine. She teaches dermatologic surgery to the NYU residents. We're so excited to welcome Clemence and Julie to NSL Double Talk. Hi, Julie. It's very nice meeting you. Hi, Clement. So nice to meet you in person. I would love to start talking to you about what inspired you to get into dermatology. Sure. Many people don't realize that the skin as the largest organ often represents the first sign of disease. And so there's a lot of detective work involved in dermatology and it can be quite intellectual and you have to sort of look for clues in the skin to help diagnose disease. So having a field that combined medical and surgical and also had a very motivated patient population, you know, they can see the effects of disease on their skin. Um, they're motivated to improve their skin. They're very well partnered with the physician. Um, it just made it a very gratifying field that uh, I was happy to pursue further and I'm happy that I have. Thank you. And so what do you believe are some of the misconceptions about how to have nice skin? There are several, and it depends on sort of what age group and what population you're talking about. I think that a lot of people think that scrubbing or over exfoliating is good for their skin. And so people often use harsh cleansers or they may use abrasive materials, cloths, pads to try to get away their dead, dirty skin cells or what they perceive to be so. But in reality, you don't need to cleanse the skin very harshly. Um, gentle cleansers uh, can often, as you know, be very effective Absolutely. and prime the skin for whatever materials mm -hmm. you subsequently apply. So really treating your skin the way you would treat a delicate piece of clothing from your wardrobe and, and not being over aggressive. Absolutely, yeah. I always say that you have to treat your skin like your favorite silk blouse. Exactly. So totally agree with that. What are some of the beauty trends that you've seen over the, over the course of your career that you wish you would, would go away in addition to, you yes. know, harsh treatments? One that we've made significant progress mm -hmm. for but still have a way to go is that of seeking a tan. I am a strong proponent, you know, of counseling my patients about the harmful effects of UV radiation. I by no means recommend patients to live a life devoid of sun exposure and outdoor activities. I think that comprises a very healthy life. But so often patients think that as long as they wear a little sunscreen, if they get a suntan, that it actually is healthy and not harmful. And that is a total misconception from what I see. Tanning beds, of course, represent sort of the ultimate, you know, 
yes. bad portion of yeah. this. So, and I think that college campuses are really very, very guilty of this. They allow students to use their university cards to pay for tanning packages. They offer tanning salons as part of the campus center where they get the, the students, you know, get their lunch and snacks. And I think that the message is out there that tanning salons are really bad and that UV beds are harmful. But I think that we have so much, so much more to do in that regard. So what are some of the things that you would recommend to protect better your skin from the sun? So I think that sunscreen is good, but not, but it's imperfect mm-hmm. and it's important to recognize this. So sunscreen has to be one component of a healthy approach to the sun. People should wear a broad spectrum sunscreen with an SPF of 30 or higher and apply it at least 15 to 20 minutes before you go outside the house and then reapply it regularly. So if you're spending a day out in the sun, one application of sunscreen isn't going to be enough. You also have to apply much more than one might think. So apply it liberally. Um, One small squirt is not going to cover your entire body. And sunscreen is not meant to allow you to lie out and spend the whole day in the sun. It should be to protect you from the necessary sun exposure from walks on the beach, getting in and out of the pool, but sun protective clothing, seeking the shade, trying to minimize your outdoor exposure during the most intense aspects of sun exposure. So from We used to say 10 to 2, but the sun stays strong well Mm -hmm. after 2 p.m. So depending on where in the world you are, basically from 10 to 4 at a minimum, you know, minimizing your outdoor exposure. And then wearing broad-rimmed hats and sunglasses. Okay, thank you. What about in the winter? What do you recommend to protect our skin against winter dryness? Yeah, so virtually every patient is either coming in these days complaining of dryness or just manifesting it. If, if it's a male patient, they may not be complaining about it, but it's evident on their skin. We know that this is very much a seasonal problem. So the cooler ambient temperatures combined with the intense dry heat that's being emitted from indoor heaters just really takes a toll on our skin. It strips us of our natural oils and our skin just dehydrates. And it's very, very important to take extra precautions to keep your skin well hydrated during these cooler months. So basic measures are minimizing your exposure to hot water. So if you're going to take a shower or a bath, try to use more tepid water rather than very hot water. The hotter water, again, will strip those oils out and further dehydrate the skin. When you're using soaps, use something very mild, not a harsh, you know, people often seek antibacterial soaps. And while they can be effective in very soiled areas, they're not essential for Mm -hmm. your entire body surface area. So mild soap like Dove minimizing how long you're in the shower. So as soon as you're done with the shower, turn the water off, pat your skin dry, and then abundantly apply a moisturizer. So a moisturizer that's thicker is often better. Moisturizers that contain ceramides or some gentle alpha hydroxy acids can gently exfoliate the dead skin while adding moisture back to the skin. And even this, you know, isn't going to be enough for some people. So Oftentimes, we'll recommend humidifiers in the room. Mm -hmm. Now, you have to be careful not to take a humidifier that may be contaminated, that's been in your house for many years. You know, get state-of-the-art ones, keep them clean, you know, keep them in tip-top shape so that you're not introducing bacteria into the room by, you know, circulation. But humidifiers can really improve how dry your skin gets overnight. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. (laughs) I find that humidifiers are are key when you live in cities like New York. Yes, especially in New York. What about at the office? And in general, in our lives, we are more and more exposed to um, blue lights from our screens. What, um, What do you recommend? 
Yeah, so this is a very good question, and it's sort of gaining interest among my field. And I'm curious to you know hear your thoughts as well. This generation, I mean, all of us, but especially millennials who check their phone upwards of you know 150 times a day, we are exposed to so much blue light. So blue light is a portion of visible light. Um, it is basically the short wavelength visible light. So UV radiation is about 280 to 400 nanometers in wavelength. And blue light is sort of the visible light that abuts that UV light. So we know UV is harmful. We know that it ages the skin. We know that it causes damage to our skin and skin cancer. And blue light is wavelengths that are just longer than UV light. So when we get this exposure from our phones, from our iPads, from our, you know, any smartphone or device that we're using, there's mounting evidence that the blue light exposure is inducing these sort of abnormal changes within mm-hmm. our skin. So it sort of functions to produce some free radicals, which can lead to cascades of aging and, and potentially skin cancer. We don't fully understand the effects, but we know that blue light probably is harmful to our skin. And so we should probably seek ways to reduce blue light. There are blue light screen shields that you can get. Mm-hmm. Switching your phone to night shift, which sort of uses yellow light in favor of blue light can be helpful. But the tricky thing is, again, we really don't know that much about this, but I think that use and overuse of these smartphones and devices is probably exposing us to an unnatural amount of blue light that could be harmful for our skin. So seeking ways to moderate that exposure probably is prudent. Yes, yes, thank you, absolutely. What about um, your beauty routine now? What are some of your favorite moisturizing anti-aging creams, if you can share some of these with us? I will, and then um, you'll have to share yours. Okay. <laughs> and maybe maybe also some of your favorite makeup products. Sure. So. I do mix mine up sometimes. In general, I think that an antioxidant serum paired with sunscreen should be used every single morning. So there are a host of antioxidants. Antioxidants include vitamin C, green tea, and other related chemicals, vitamin E, ferulic acid. There is a host of them. But what we know about antioxidants is that they, when present on the skin, can scavenge some of the harmful free radicals that are formed from UV and pollutant exposure. So it serves as an extra layer to protect our skin from the damage that we're accruing every day from sun exposure and from pollutants. So it works synergistically with sunscreen, which is forming more of a block or a barrier from the harmful UV rays to prevent that damage from occurring. So I use an antioxidant serum paired with a broad spectrum sunscreen. I vary my sunscreen depending on the time of year. Mm -hmm. So during the winter when I need a little bit more moisturizing, I use a product that I love by um, Elta MD. They make great zinc containing uh, sunscreens and they have a product called UV Facial that's very, very moisturizing. It functions both as a sunscreen and a moisturizing cream. And I place that on top of an antioxidant serum. And again, I I mix that up. I will sometimes use TNS Essential Serum, which is a mixture of antioxidants, including vitamin C and E, with some peptides and growth factors um, made by Skin Medica. And it's basically like intense vitamins for the skin. And so I apply a pump of the TNS Essential Serum, followed by my sunscreen, and that's my morning routine. At night, after cleansing my face, I then will use a retinoid product. So... Retinoids, to me, represent sort of the gold standard of anti-aging skincare. They also have great benefits against acne for those who suffer from both. But they are shown to normalize skin maturation. They help with fine lines. They help with texture. They help with pigmentation. And they probably have some preventive effect against early precancers, although that's less well studied. So 
retinoids can be harsh and irritating, and we could talk about retinoids for a, mm-hmm. a full hour, but they are very, very effective. And as long as you titrate your skin, so you introduce a very gentle retinoid and build up to perhaps a stronger one, I'm currently using prescription strength retinoin, uh, which is you know a more moderate um, form, but it, I had to sort of acclimate my skin by introducing through very gentle retinoids, and then I'll moisturize on top of that. Oh, interesting. And so what, what, is, what kind of quantity do you apply? Very small quantity, yeah. very good question. So um, we describe it as a P, although it doesn't sort of, it means different things to different people, but basically one little dot on your fingertip mm-hmm. that you then distribute all over your face. It's important to apply it to clean and dry skin. If the mm-hmm. skin is wet when it's applied, it can be further irritating. And as it is, you know, tretinoin and other retinoids tend to be a little harsh and irritating for the skin. And you do not need that irritation to get the beneficial effect. Uh, many people think that, oh, the redness and scaling means it's working. That's not essential. You really would rather use it and not get the visible irritation. You'll still get the beneficial anti-aging effect. And, and could you mix it with your moisturizer? Also, yes. yes. When you're first introducing the product or if your skin is more sensitive or if you just feel extra dry, sometimes mixing it beforehand, but again, not overdoing it because the tendency might be to use too much then, I think. So if instead you just put a little dot on your hand, mix it with your moisturizer, that's one way to apply it. Or you can even put the moisturizer on first and that way you sort of Mm -hmm. dilute it further and make it a little bit better tolerated. Okay, definitely taking some notes (laughs) for this one. Do you have a favorite Um, product? I do. I mean, my favorite part of my beauty routine is the evening routine. Um, I really love that part of the double cleansing, which I find to be actually a very relaxing moment. It's this sort of moment that you take for yourself. I like to double cleanse because I really feel the difference the first time you really remove makeup and pollution. And the second time is really when I feel you clean the topmost layer of of your skin. When it's very dry, very cold, I tend to use cleansing milks or cleansing oils. I also very much love cleansing balms. What's very important for me is the texture and the smell of the products. There are a couple of brands that I love these days from Joelle Sioko that you can find now more and more in the US, but Kiehl's has a beautiful uh, night oil. A couple of brands like Tata Harper have wonderful cleansing oils as well. After I use these two products, I use a little toner on a very, very soft cotton. I actually still buy my cotton in France, but I think it's very important because I don't want to, you know, anything that is too harsh on the face. So I use that with a toner and then I spritz some thermal water on my face. And so I feel that this sort of really rehydrates a lot my face and the double cleansing, which is sort of, you know, you sort of massage a bit your face when you do it. I feel that the face is, um, feels very dewy, you know, again, and very glowing. So sometimes after that, I don't really feel the need to put a moisturizer after. So sometimes I just let my skin breathe at night, you know, throughout the night. And if it's very, very dry or I, I don't know, I feel very tired and I feel the need of a cream, then I'll add um, either a night cream or a face oil as well. In the morning, I like to use a, a toner from Bioderma, which you can now find uh, very easily in large stores like Duenry, CVS, a nice cotton, always a thermal water, again, to moisturize the skin. And then I as a beauty journalist, I tend to try a lot of products, so I cannot really say I have like one favorite moisturizer, depending on the time of 
year, I sort of switch from like a lighter texture or a thicker texture. If I'm not going to wear any makeup, I definitely like some more like thicker and more oily based uh, products. Again, Joelle Sioko has beautiful face oil and I feel that it really protects my skin and it creates like a barrier before going out. So, so yeah, I really like these products. As you were talking about the sun earlier, I, I'm more careful with the sun, but what I like to do is that I like to use a little um, uh, self-tan product yes. once in a while just to get a little bit of that glow and especially before going on holidays so I don't feel I arrive like and I'm too pale and uh, I don't feel as much the need to sunbathe. Right, as long yeah. as as long as you recognize it's not actually protecting you from the sun. Exactly. Well, your skin looks great. <laughs> Thank you. Yours too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Clement, yeah. are there any at-home accessories that you are a fan of that you either have tried or, you know, really like using on your skin? Yeah, I really like um, Foreo. Um, the Foreo Luna is a, is a very small device that helps you when you cleanse your face. And it's very gentle. It's not harsh at all on the skin. Um, and it sort of gently massages the product, uh, which I find very useful, very practical. Um, so I really like that. I've also been a big fan of New Skin for many years, which is a small device to do microcurrent at home. It takes, I would say, about maybe four minutes each time you use it. So it's very quick and it's just a great way to tone the skin and activate the production of collagen. I find it's a great natural way to sort of maintain the elasticity of the skin. And do you use these with your own products or they come with specialized products? So New Skin comes with a, a specific gel to sort of to apply on your on your skin. And for Rio is something you can just use on any cleanser. So I really, yeah, I really like those. And I think there are some that the New Skin especially I feel is, is great. We've been using it in my family. We're three generations right now using it. So it's it's been approved <laughs> at all ages. So talking actually about all ages, what products or procedures should a woman incorporate into her routine as she transitions from her 40s, 50s, and 60s? The field of procedural dermatology has exploded in recent years and will only continue to do so. There are so many devices and procedures that are available, um, ranging from the most minimally invasive to, of course, surgical procedures such as facelifts, which I don't do and should be reserved as a last option. Um, so the age at which these should be introduced varies a lot depending on how rapidly an individual is aging. So some people are blessed with amazing genetics combined with very good skincare practices and they can ward off any sort of procedure for a long time, whereas others are less fortunate and maybe have to start venturing in at an early age. Among the most popular procedures that I perform in my office and do so, you know, excitedly expecting good results, range from, you know, injectables on the one hand and lasers and light sources on the other. So injectables refer to either botulinum toxin uh, injections, mm -hmm. Botox being the most um, popular among them. And these injections, you know, can be started at a very young age and you can use them to diminish the strength of muscular contractions in the face that are leading to wrinkles. So when we make facial expressions, as we do all the time, when we laugh, act surprised, smile, or speak, um, the repetitive action of our muscles causes the lines within our face to 
form and then relax. But with repetitive action, sometimes these lines get etched in more permanently. And so you can get a more aged appearance to the skin. And some people, again, you know, these lines are not manifest for many, many years, whereas others start to show them in the 20s, particularly around the eyes. And fair-skinned individuals tend to, you know, show these lines a little bit more early. So Botox does not have to be used as a facial freezer. In fact, it never should be used to freeze the face. But when applied in appropriate amounts in correct areas skillfully, it can just minimize the appearance of these wrinkles and also have a slightly preventive effect to ward off permanent lines from forming in the face down the road. Botox is one of the earliest things that we do introduce. Fillers, which is the other form of injectables, are volume replacers or stimulants of volume. So we use this for sort of as we age, both intrinsic aging factors, such as just your genetics and weight loss and fat depletion in the central face very commonly occurs as we age, together with extrinsic factors such as sun exposure, poor diet, pollution. The skin starts to sag and we have volume depletion. And so you can look sort of hollowed out, tired, old. And so fillers can be used to just restore a more youthful appearance to the face, a more triangular appearance with fuller cheeks. It helps to redrape the skin higher up so that your skin is not sagging. Replenishing some of the volume loss that occurs commonly around the eyes can be helpful to rejuvenate one's appearance. Um, So we do a lot of filler injections. It doesn't have to be a complete revamp of someone's face. We'll just do a small amount to sort of make the individual appear better rested, you know, more healthy, youthful version of themselves, not a different version of themselves. But is this something you would have to do in that case your whole life to maintain the that So with effect? injectables, yes. So by starting early, there may be some cumulative stimulatory effects. Mm-hmm. So you will do less than you would have done if you start later. This is true for both types of injections. But yes, they both have temporary effects and you do have to keep up with them, which is both good and bad. Good because as you age, you don't necessarily want the same sort of injectables. You want to be able to modify it to help you to age gracefully, but bad because of course it would be nice if they lasted longer. Botox has to be done you know, two to three times a year and fillers on average about once to twice a year. But So if you start that at the age of 30, let's say, and if, you know, hopefully, you know, you live up to 95 or 100, oh, yes. you know, would you do that in that case? You know, would you have to sort of repeat treatments? Yeah. The short answer is yes. yes. Um, you can tolerate different doses of, you know, each of these injectable as you age which is where sort of the role for good skincare, good diet, you know, resting well, and then maybe doing some light lasers Mm -hmm. comes in. So, you know, of course, a balanced diet, exercise, which does wonders for the skin, as well as for the mind, of course, but, you know, we're talking about the skin. Um, Those are all essential components of good, healthy aging and, and graceful aging. Lasers can be used to sort of restore youthfulness in a different way than the injectables. It can help from the outside in to help uh, with dark spots, with fine lines, mm-hmm. um, you know, removing some certain growths that are unwanted. So really a combination of delicate use of each of these, I think, is the best approach. But again, truthfully, more important than any of these interventions is a happy, healthy, you know, yes. active lifestyle. And would there be sort of like a, like a minimum age that you would say, you know, don't start injectables before you know, a certain age or? So there's no one age. I mean, I don't think people in their 20s should be, you know, running out to do this. Have I ever injected a 20-year-old with one of these things? 
yes, but I can count, you know, on, on one hand yes. how often, and it was for very specific circumstances, either correcting a facial asymmetry, mm-hmm. giving one, you know, light injection uh, or enhancement before a big event such as a wedding, but they shouldn't be habitually done, you know, at a young age, because youth is beautiful. I mean, the problem is people utilize these tools to convey a certain look that's often mm-hmm. uniform among like women of all ages, then that's not the appropriate way to use this. You really want to use it to make an individual look like the best, most healthy version of themselves. 30s is when women often start. By 40s, most people are good candidates for some of these interventions. And then as you age, depending, you know, certainly there's a hot spot in the 40 to 60s where they are used regularly, I would say. Yes, thank you. Are there some other, you know, products or procedures that you consider have been, you know, like game changers? So this field is constantly evolving. There's a big focus on minimally invasive. So mm-hmm. there's certain lasers, you know, years ago, the best gold standard resurfacing was an extremely aggressive, but very effective procedure called ablative resurfacing. And a laser called the carbon dioxide laser was used that would target water in the skin. The skin would be raw, denuded for weeks, red for months. And eventually the skin looked, you know, beautiful, but with high incidence of side effects. So there's been this, you know, technological focus on sort of walking that fine line between achieving results, but minimizing downtime. Minimizing downtime will achieve a few things. Number one, it's going to reduce the risk of unwanted side effects, such as discoloration, scarring, infection, but also it allows people to return to their, you know, everyday activities. And as we have a population that is aging, you know, people are living longer and people are staying active and professionally active much longer, return to work and return to social activities becomes a big priority. So the introduction of, you know, lasers and light sources that can achieve rejuvenation with minimal downtime has been very helpful and and very appreciated. Non-ablative laser resurfacing came out, you know, more than a decade ago now, but still it was revolutionary. It could deliver energy to the skin to stimulate new collagen without denuding the skin. So it left a significant portion of the normal skin intact. So individuals healed very quickly, but still got a stimulatory effect with new collagen being built and the skin smoothing and looking, you know, more Mm -hmm. youthful. And There have been further advances with what's called Pico technology, where energy can be delivered so rapidly to the skin that the upper layers of the skin can be spared entirely. So you can stimulate collagen and you can improve pigmentation and fine lines without having any wounding to the upper layers of the skin. The results are not as good for sure. You need more treatments to achieve similar results, but just this trend towards Equally effective, maybe with more treatments, but equally effective results with much less downtime and much less risk and oftentimes less pain is a, has been a major advance for our field. Oh, very, this is fascinating. Are there some that you think we should maybe stay away from? There are strict regulations preventing very harmful devices, but I think overdoing any one thing mm-hmm. really should be avoided. This is particularly true when it comes to injectables those of us who live in Manhattan, you know, walk down the street and you can't help but identify people who you know who have had, you know, procedures done and look unnatural. And I think that, yes, any of these procedures technically are unnatural because they're being administered and Mm -hmm. they're not part of the natural aging, but just not overdoing any one thing is really going to be most helpful and make you achieve the best version of yourself. And um, do you find that, you know, by doing some of these light treatments, you can probably avoid surgery maybe at a more mature age? Yes. So so that's a good question. I mean, plastic surgery, of course, is very dramatic and it can be done well, but it also can be done very 
not well and result in, you know, frightening appearances or just completely altered appearances. So I think that um, we are all moving towards warding off surgery, trying to delay it or put it off altogether by doing these less invasive procedures. And that's what, to me, dermatology sort of offers to the aging population is a way to sort of remain youthful, age gracefully, but not you know, dramatically alter the structure of your face. So I do believe that a combination of good skincare, again, you know, good diet with some lasers, you know, periodic lasers, and also potentially injectables can prevent uh, surgery from being necessary. And so for those who are listening to us today and who do not have yet a dermatologist, what should they be looking for when they, they look for a new, you know, for someone to treat their skin? So a board-certified dermatologist mm -hmm. is very important. Uh, there's a lot of people who have great interest in skincare, and walking down the street, you'll see laser centers um, that advertise anti-aging treatments and you know a host of procedures. But first and foremost, going to a dermatologist is important to get counseled about skin health, get your skin checked, have your moles checked, make sure you don't have skin cancer, and then engage in discussion about protecting your skin and helping to age gracefully. So looking for someone who's board certified, of course, someone who you walk in and you their aesthetic appeals to you. They don't look overdone. They don't look unnatural. I think that that's a, a good litmus test initially. And also, you know, very often I'll have patients say, oh, my last dermatologist, I'd go in for a mole check and they'd spend the whole time telling me, you should do this and you should do that mm -hmm. and you should do this. I mean, it's fine to, you know, recommend procedures, but it shouldn't be the focus of the visit. So I think just finding someone that you're comfortable with, who you think looks natural in a way that, you know, appeals to you and definitely someone who's board certified. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Julie Karen. This was a very fascinating, inspiring and interesting talk. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for partaking in it with me. I love hearing your input as well. For conversations you can't ignore, come back every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. Subscribe now and never stop learning. <laughs>